Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. The title of the teaching today is uh, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Story. So if you are taking notes, you can write that down, Ordinary People, Extraordinary Story. And we're in this series uh, called What Was, What Is, What Will Be. And it really is looking at the story of Christmas, but it's looking at it through the lens of prophecy and through the lens of there's all of these different prophecies in the uh, scripture that talk about the Christmas story. That hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to this earth, um, God predicted with incredible accuracy so many different elements of Jesus' birth and him coming onto the planet. And so we're going to look at that. Um, but really my heart, you know, as, as, as we look at this title of Ordinary People, an Extraordinary Story, what, what's, what's really amazing is as I've been meditating on the Christmas story this year, one of the things that I've been thinking is that there are all these amazing and just individuals that, that we kind of like have come to know and come to love like the shepherds and like the wise men and, and Mary and Joseph and Simeon and Anna. And there's all of these different people, Zachariah and Elizabeth. But when you really study the context and when you really study what's going on, like what you see is like genuinely they are like literally like just normal people who had normal lives. And God invited them into this incredible story. And, and so like no one would have looked at them and said, like, this is a hero. Like, this is, like, the person that we're all looking to. People would have just looked at them and said, like, that's, that's Mary. She lives in our town. She's going to get married to a carpenter or a stonecutter named Joseph. That's Zachariah. We, we respect him because he's a priest, but him and Elizabeth have been on hard times, and, you know, this, this and that have happened in their life. And so, like, God really can use each one of us, and that is my prayer really tonight, is that as we dive into this, that we would begin to understand, and we would begin to think, and we would begin to ask God, God, like, I really do want to see you move in a powerful way in my life, and I want to believe that even though, yeah, I am an ordinary person. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not an influencer. Maybe we have an influencer in here. Maybe we have a blue check mark in here or something, but for the most part, you know, we have people that we're ordinary people. We have people who are just going through life. But, but I think we can believe that, that God wants to use us in a powerful way. And God wants to invite us into his story. So let's pray and let's dive in. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beauty of Christmas. And God, I pray that you would just breathe on this time, Lord. Bring your word to life. Help us. Teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So turn with me to Luke 1, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to get there in a minute. Um, I have a few different uh, scriptures that I have put on the screen that I'm going to put up first, but Luke 1 is where we're going to be camping out, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Um, we literally have all throughout uh, the, the scriptures are going to all be on the screen. So Luke chapter uh, 1 is, is where we'll be, but I, I want to start by telling you just like a very obscure story uh, from the Bible. And it's so obscure, like I've listened to a lot of sermons in my day, I've listened to a lot of, of, of uh, Bible teachings in my day, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on 
what I'm going to tell you. There's a verse in it that's very popular, but I don't know if I've ever heard a specific sermon. And so um, the, the story, and I'm going to set up the context and I'll just read a little bit, but th- there's a king and he's an evil king and his name is Ahaz. Everybody say Ahaz. Now there's a famous evil king named Ahab. This is a different evil king, not as famous, Ahaz. And uh, there, there's an army that's going to come and uh, and fight against Ahaz. Ahaz is ruling over the people of Israel. And so uh, he, it's God's people, an evil king, and there's an army coming against them. And so God sends the prophet Isaiah. And it's really interesting because even though the people are rebelling against God, the king is evil, God sends the prophet Isaiah with a message of hope. And the message is this army that's coming against you is not going to win. Like you're, you're not going to be defeated. You're not gonna be wiped off the face of the earth. God is going to protect you. And so Isaiah delivers this, this very encouraging message, like this imminent threat, this doom that it, you are afraid of. Don't be afraid, God's got you. And then um, God gives this really interesting request. And uh, it's up on the screen, Isaiah chapter seven, and it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Now, I wouldn't necessarily always recommend um, asking God for a sign. Um, I think there's other ways that we can uh, gain God's wisdom and gain God's insight. And actually, there's only like two places in all of scripture where God says, ask me for a sign or test me. Um, But this is a situation where God says, hey, I I want you to ask me to to give you a sign that's going to prove that I'm going to protect you. And so Ahaz, he rebels against God, and he says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And so Ahaz is kind of being like fake spiritual. He doesn't want to obey or trust God. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? So Isaiah is frustrated that Ahaz is not listening to God. But then he says this, and this is what I really want to focus on. This is really interesting. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And this is the sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this is a very obscure passage of scripture. If anything, you've probably heard the last verse, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That verse is a prophecy about Mary and ultimately about Jesus. Now, this is why I think this is a really interesting text. Um, because this text happened hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. So on the one hand, it's just really interesting because God literally predicts the future. He literally says, this is how Jesus is going to be born. The other reason I think it's kind of interesting is that um, I just think it's a really weird thing for God to say. And let me explain why. Because God is telling him, hey, I'm going to protect you right now. But here's the sign that I'm going to protect you. Something is going to happen hundreds and hundreds of years after you die. And when that happens, you'll know that I'm going to protect you. And I, I'm just like, God, what, like, that seems like a very weird sign for you to give to Ahaz. Like, that, that's just like all I can think of. Like, I feel like it's the same thing as like, like you don't prove, like, let me, let me prove something to you. And then you say something that's even more in the future. Like, it, it's kind of like if my son, uh, like, if he's, he's two, so we wouldn't have this in-depth of a conversation. But if in like the age of five, I was like, hey, Isaiah, buddy, I'm taking you to Chick-fil-A tomorrow. And he's like, I don't believe you. Like, prove it. And so like my proof was like, well, I'll tell you what. When you're 16, I'll let you drive a car. It's like, 
it doesn't make sense. Like, it's, it's not the same thing. And so, like, it's, it's like a very peculiar passage, but I, I want to just share why I believe, like, it's, this is in here. And because there's really two things that are happening. God is saying, I am going to provide and take care of your physical needs in this moment. Like, I, I care about you. I love you. Even though you're rebelling against me, I'm pursuing you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide and protect for you right now. But he's also saying, actually, me saving you right now in this finite moment is not the big story. The big story is I am going to send Jesus and he's going to save the entire world. And so if you want to write this down, you can do that. That God does care about each of our stories, but the story is all about Jesus. And and. Think, think about it like this. this. This is kind of a little bit of a paradox. Like, does God care about us or does God care about him? Does God care about my needs or does God care about his agenda? And actually the answer is yes, it's both. Um, and sometimes we try to like put these two things in opposition with each other. Like some preachers, all they preach about is like your needs. God's gonna bless you. God's gonna hook you up. God's gonna fulfill all of your wildest dreams. Like he's like Pedro, he'll make your wildest dreams come true. Napoleon Dynamite reference. And um, so that, that's what some preachers preach about. Other preachers, I kind of feel like the, these are more like grumpy preachers. They're like, just like, we're never gonna talk about that. We're just gonna talk about God. We're gonna talk about theology. We're just gonna like, it's all about God's glory. And it is all about God's glory. But God is a loving father who actually does care to provide for our needs. And so that's actually a really cool thing. Like when you think about God, like God is interested in your story. God cares about your story. And each person in here, like look around for a minute, look at, look at some people in your row, look at some people behind you, in front of you. Each person in here, like they have things right now, you have things right now that you deeply care about. You have things that are deep in your heart. You have concerns and burdens and worries and hopes and dreams and excitements and you have prayer requests that, that you're praying. And like God sees those things and God genuinely cares about those things. There are people in here and it's like, man, I'm looking for community. I'm looking for friendship. There are people in here that, that you're like, man, I, I just wanna figure out you know, my next step. I, wanna God to, I need God to provide financial air. I'm praying God provides a job. There are people in here and you're like, man, I, I'm praying about a, a spouse. I'm praying about a next step. There's all of these prayers that we are praying. And, and God, like, does care about those things. He really, truly does. But, but God's greatest ambition, God's greatest goal is for his glory and for the story that he's writing. And so while he cares about us, while he's taking care of our needs, his greatest ambition is his own glory. And his greatest ambition is that he is working a global story of redemption. And it started when he created the world and it's going to culminate in him making all things new. And, and so what, what God is saying is, yes, I am taking care of your needs, but at the same time, the bigger picture, the headline is the virgin's gonna bear a son and we're gonna call his name Emmanuel and it's gonna mean God with us. And let me tell you this, that, that your life can, will take a radical turn when your primary ambition is not your story, but when your primary ambition begins to be God's story. When you begin to say like, my focus is not 
Like, man, I'm trying to provide and make sure that my story is going well. Your, your life will radically transform when you say a very bold prayer, which is, God, I want my story to be about your story. Like, like God, I'm not saying, God, I'm inviting you to participate in a small way in my story. I'm saying, God, I'm asking you to use my whole life for your story. That's what I'm asking you. And yes, I do know that you care about my needs, but if you want to use the, the analogy of a newspaper, not that there is a lot of newspapers around anymore, like, but my, my needs are on like the third page in like a small column. Your story is the headline. Your story is the main story. And that's what I want my life to be about. And so that is what we are learning and what we're seeing. And so we're talking about prophecy. We're talking about these, these predictions about Jesus and these predictions about his first coming, his birth, and I want you to know that these are happening throughout the Old Testament. There are many, many different prophecies about Jesus. I just put up a few on the screen. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, uh, they sin against God. They're the first humans, and they sin against God, and God comes to them, and he actually explains to them that there are going to be some consequences for their sin, but in the middle of that, Actually, in the very first pages of Scripture, the, the, really the third chapter of Scripture, is the first prophecy about Jesus. And, and God is talking to Satan, uh, humans' enemies, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a theological term called the proto-evangelicum. It's the first gospel. Is that, that's what that means. And this is the first time in the Bible on page three where God predicts that someone, that, that the woman's offspring, that's Jesus, will crush the head of Satan, will destroy and defeat death. And so even from the very beginning, God is predicting there's gonna be a savior that's coming. And God is actually throughout scripture very specific about this. In Micah chapter, uh, I believe it's five, um, what we see is that God actually predicts the exact location of the birth of Christ. In Micah 5, 2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so even at the very beginning, God actually predicts hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes, he predicts Jesus will actually be born in Bethlehem. God also predicts in Genesis chapter 49, the origin story of Jesus, who he will come from. And in Genesis 49, 10, it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh is one of the first uh, names in the Bible of Jesus, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So he's predicting that Jesus will come from the tribe of Judah. The Israelites had 12 tribes. One of them was Judah, so he's predicting that it will come. And then in Jeremiah, it says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And so we see in Jeremiah that not only will he be from the tribe of Judah, but he will be a descendant of David. And so what we see is that God is accurately predicting who Jesus will be and what Jesus will look like, how he will come onto the scene. But, but really what we focused on, remember we talked about this idea of the virgin bearing a son. And so I wanna take us to that story and I ask you to turn in Luke chapter one. And so in Luke chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse 26, 
We're actually going to learn and discover the story of Mary and how it came about that Mary was asked to be the mother of Jesus. So it says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It, said, it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Nazareth was an incredibly small town, so there really would not have been a ton of people in it. Everyone would have known everyone. And it's in the middle of the, the Galilean sort of wilderness. It's up on a hillside. And so uh, in this small town, this, this woman named Mary, and really uh, most scholars believe that she wasn't a, a woman as in a young adult. She was actually a very young teenager, if not before. Um, at that time, uh, women who uh, women were, were betrothed or engaged, it was an arranged marriage, by the way, um, and they were, in, they were arranged to be married uh, as early as 11, 12, 13 years old. That was the custom at the time. Um, Amanda, I was talking with her this afternoon, and she reminded me of that fact. And I was like, well, like, Amanda, I think, like, when the life expectancy is, like, you know, 35, you, you have to get married earlier, you know? You want to live to see your grandkids, and so you got to, you got I don't know. That's, that's, that's not why. But um, that was the culture, and that was the custom at the time. And so this is an incredibly young woman. And, and she has, in a lot of ways, her future set up. Her future is is destined as to what it's going to look like. But then Gabriel comes, this angel from God, and really brings a divine interruption to her. And, and she, this is what it says. The, the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she hears this message, and she's very confused. She's like, what is going on? Like, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what's happening. And, and I think it's interesting that it says that um, the, the angel Gabriel said that Mary was a favored one. She was a favored one. So Gabriel brings this initial message of encouragement and of hope to Mary. And so you can write this down if you want. That favor from God is not about earthly influence but it is about eternal impact. Favor from God is not about earthly influence, it is about eternal impact. Mary, Gabriel is about to bring a message to Mary that her life is going to be radically changed. Her life is going to be flipped up on his head of every single aspect that she had planned and she had thought about. But, but, but yet, Gabriel is saying that she has favor from God. Now, what's interesting is that this favor from God is going to be wrapped in a very inconvenient package for her. Um, her life is going to be turned upside down. It is gonna, she's going to face great challenges. I wrote a few things. The angel like, didn't tell her parents, didn't tell Joseph. So apparently she had to tell them. And you can imagine how the conversation would have gone like, hey, um, I know that all of you guys think I'm saving myself for Joseph, and I am saving myself from Joseph. I have been pure, but I also am going to have a kid. Um, it's from God. I, I wasn't cheating on you, right? Like, that is a tough convert. That's a tough sell. It's like a really tough sell. Like, it wasn't my fault, but I am going to have a baby, and, like, you know, I didn't do anything bad. Trust me. Like, like, that, like that's going to be a hard thing to, to 
um, to, to convince anyone of, and especially in that day and age when um, the woman certainly would have been blamed for any promiscuous act. Um, not only that, but Joseph would have been greatly shamed to continue a relationship with her, and he actually was uh, really almost about to not continue a relationship with her, except the angel Gabriel told him to continue a relationship with her. And a little interesting fact, uh, we, we know the story, that Mary and Joseph, they go to Bethlehem, and the famous line is that there is no room at the inn, so they actually have to stay in a stable. Well, that word inn, um, they did not have like hotels in Bethlehem, and that word inn uh, is, is probably better translated guest house or uh, sort of like guest room in your house. And so what really we can infer from that is that Dave, Joseph went to his home, his hometown was Bethlehem, and they, the, the family said, we don't have room for you here because of what's going on in your story, because of the fact that there is this, this illegitimate child in your story, like we don't have room for you. So it really could more, be more said like they got turned away at the door. Like, like they showed up for Thanksgiving and they were like, hey, we didn't set out two plates for you. We didn't cook enough turkey. You gotta go home. You gotta go find somewhere else. And, and so that, that's what happened. So God's favor actually came in a very inconvenient package for Mary. And so what I think we can take away from this and the application that we can apply for our life, oftentimes I think you and I, when we are faced with thinking about God's plan for our life, oftentimes we are thinking about that, that my life is going to become more earthly blessed. My earthly circumstances are going to be better. I'm going to receive promotions. I'm going to receive financial blessing. I'm going to receive more influence. And that's possible that that could happen. But really and truly, when God puts his favor on your life, his favor on your life looks like you having an opportunity to advance his kingdom. And that could look like earthly blessing, but that could look like great earthly hardship and great earthly trials. But, but so often I think we are automatically averse to suffering. Like when we hear that suffering is involved, when we hear that hardship is involved, we think that must not be for me because it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There are going to be difficulties that come with it. And, and so we gotta realize when God gives us favor, the reason he's giving us favor is so that we can make an impact for his kingdom. And each one of us, if we're Christians, we do have God's favor. We have God's blessing in our life, but it's for his impact and it's for an eternal purpose. Okay, look at verse 30 with me. So Mary is confused. She's troubled. An angel has come to her and an angel has began speaking with her. And it says this, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Don't worry, I'm going to, like, I, I, that's like a wild thing to say. Like, like an angel showed up in your house and he's gonna turn your whole world upside down. But don't be afraid, it's all good, it's all good. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So, the angel communicates to Mary that she's going to have this baby, Jesus, the son of God, and that he will be a king, he will be a ruler. 
What's interesting is a lot of the prophecies about Jesus are about his kingship, about the fact that he is a ruler. And so next week, that's what we're going to be looking at is the prophecies about Jesus as king. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace of the increase of his government that will be no end. And so we'll look at that and talk about that next week. So he does highlight this, but then Mary asks the all-important question, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Um, okay, so let, let's talk about this for a second. Um, there, there have been, obviously, like the, the big sort of like elephant in the room of the Christmas story is this idea of the virgin birth, the immaculate conception. And I want to tell you why it is theologically important for this to happen. Um, now, a lot of people, especially because in our modern sensibilities, we feel like, okay, it's impossible for uh, a child to be produced without a man and a woman coming together. And so, like, it can't have happened. But, but what I would say is that, you know, one, one of the things that, that I love and I've heard before is that if you can believe the first verse in the Bible, you can believe the rest of the Bible. Right. And so like sometimes when uh, people have have they've we've come to this awkward place of like, oh, the virgin birth, it seems impossible. It's kind of weird to explain. So even uh, people have gone so far as to say, like, well, maybe it didn't happen that way. Maybe it was just that God really blessed Joseph and Mary or something else could have happened or whatever. Um, but but really, if you believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that God brought life forth that God did bring um, uh, all of the animals, all of the, the planets, all of the trees that we see, that God formed Adam, that God formed Eve. Like God can produce life where there is no life. Like that is like literally the foundation of the thing. That's the first page of the story. So if you can believe that, I think you can believe that, that God can do an, an impossible situation and a miracle. Uh, but, but it is important for um, this to have happened this way um, for this reason. If you think about it, there are only two humans in history that did not ultimately come from Adam. And those two humans would be Adam and Jesus. Even Eve uh, was formed out of a rib of Adam, and then pretty much everybody else from here uh, descended from Adam. That's what we believe, Adam and Eve. The first humans, everyone else descended from them. So what we know and what scripture teaches is that uh, the sin nature is passed down from Adam. And so each one of us, we're born with a sin nature. We're born with a proclivity to sin and to rebel against God. And that comes from our father, Adam. And so it is important that Jesus did not have that sin nature. Jesus is God, he is perfect, and so he had to come from an outside source, which would be the, the immaculate conception, the, the virgin birth, that Jesus' father was not Adam. But Jesus was born of a woman, he was born of Mary, therefore Jesus is fully God, and he is fully man. So he's a full human being because he was born of flesh and blood, he was born of Mary. And yet he, he, he is fully God. His, his sin nature did not come. He did not have a sin nature. He's perfect. It didn't come from Adam. He, he, he was born a, a son of God. And so that's super important. But just like we could be confused, how does this work? Mary had confusion about the plan as well. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? And I want you to write this down. This is very important. That 
Impossible is easier for God than unavailable. Impossible is easier for God than unavailable. You see, Mary was confused about the logistics and confused about the details. And to her, when God explained the situation, hey, you're about to get pregnant, you're about to have a baby, like her mind went to the facts. The facts are, like, that cannot happen. But, but God was not so interested in, in the, the facts, he was interested in, in her availability and interested in her obedience. And I think for you and I, every time that God calls us to do something, it is, in fact, incredibly challenging. It is uncomfortable, and sometimes it seems impossible. So God never calls us to something that is, like, super, super, super easy. I mean, like, there, there, are, there are a few things where it's like, God, I'm, I'm good. Like, that's, that's not too challenging. Um, but God, for the most part, when he calls us to do something, like, it, it is going to get us out of our comfort zone. It is going to challenge us. It's going to, to, to seem like we can't make it happen. Even something as simple as just faithfulness to our faith, like carving out time in your day to, to read scripture. That, that's inconvenient. There are other things that you could be doing with that time. Taking time to serve. Maybe God is calling you to step into a leadership position, uh, uh, helping someone else grow. Maybe God's calling you to, to talk about your faith. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to someone that you know that is struggling and help them and encourage them. These things are hard things. These things are incredibly challenging things. And the more that we walk in faith, the more God is going to call us to do hard things. And what I feel like is that each one of us, we kind of have like an inner accountant inside of us. And let me explain what I mean by that. Each one of us, we have an inner accountant. And so we kind of, our inner accountant is evaluating our time and evaluating our money and evaluating our energy and evaluating our abilities and evaluating kind of our life circumstances. And when this happens, when the, the, the opportunity is given for us to obey God, what happens? Our inner accountant is like, that is impossible. Does not compute. Not going to work out. And so the, the thing that we have to overcome, and that could be a lie from the enemy, that could be our own fear. There's a lot of reasons the inner encounter could exist, but, but we have to start thinking like, like the inner accountant says, impossible, can't be done, not gonna happen. And we have to ignore the inner accountant. We have to say like, God, if you're calling me to do this, I wanna step into it. Because God can handle impossible but if we are unavailable, God is not going to use us. See, God invites our participation. God asks for our participation. And so a lot of what we are, are waiting for, maybe we're waiting for it to seem more possible. Maybe we're waiting for it to seem more convenient. Maybe God has put something on your heart. And maybe it's been on your heart for a long time. Maybe it's something that's new and you're like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is the right, like, I don't know if this is possible. I'm afraid it's gonna be a big step of faith. Whatever it is, like, like uh, we're, we're waiting for it to be more convenient. We're waiting for it to be more, more possible. What God is saying is, I'm not worried about the impossible. Like, I will take care of the impossible. I'm asking, are you available? Are you willing to take the step? Are you willing to say yes so that I can show up? Let's keep going. Verse 35, it says this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. 
And he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I love what the ESV says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel says, I will, the God will take care of the impossible. What, what's your response? And so Mary answered and says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, I believe that, um, that many people, especially in like the Catholic faith, they over-revere Mary. Some people go way too far even into probably idol worship of Mary. Mary is not like our intercessor with God. Jesus is our intercessor with God. But I do believe that Mary should be respected as a, a hero of the faith, just like many other heroes of the faith. And this is why right here, that Mary says in the face of impossible, in the face of this is crazy, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Like, God, use me however you wanna use me. And you can write this down. This is the last point we'll have. That God isn't looking for superstars. He is looking for servants. He is looking for people who will say, God, I am available. And when I, when I thought about this point, because I really think, remember, the, the point of this is ordinary people, extraordinary Savior. The point is that you and me, that we would hear this story and that we would look at the story and say, yeah, Jesus, like you are king, you are on the throne. This, this is about you, and I want my life to be about you. I want my life to be about your glory. And one of the things, like, I've been really seriously following Jesus for like the last 11 years. And I really feel like I've, I've, I've been in the process of, of just deepening my understanding of, of God, deepening my understanding of his story, deepening my understanding of like how he wants to lead us and how he wants to lead me. And growing up like in the past 10 years, I've also seen different like trends within preaching and trends within sort of the broader Christian culture, especially as it is communicated to young adults. And one of the things that when I was first getting saved, that a lot of was happening um, was kind of this message of like, um, just believe God for big things in your life. That was like a big, a big message that was being preached. And it was this idea of like, you know, God is going to use your life in amazing ways. God is going to do insane things in your life. Um, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be amazing. You believe God for great things. And um, there will be a period where you're going to have to, to be um, hidden. You're going to have to be serving. You're going to have to be planted. But then God is going to just do incredible things. And so I feel like that this message is one of those messages that as I was, um, as I was thinking about that, um, I think that there's some really good things about that. And I think that there's some dangerous things about that. And so I just wanted to share my, a, a little bit of thoughts on that as we close. Um, and, and I really have kind of three thoughts on it. The first one is that, like, I do believe God wants us to do great things. And I believe God wants us to believe for great things. And honestly, I think many times our greatest problem is that we don't believe God's powerful enough. Like, we don't believe God's big enough. And we're praying small prayers when we need to be praying big prayers. And, and so that could look as practical as like, 
you saying like, God, I'm here right now. I want you to use me in, in, a, in a huge way for your kingdom. I have my whole life ahead of me. I want to reach many people for you. I, I want you to, to influence, to use my life to influence you. And so that could look like, for example, there are creatives in here. And it could look like you saying like, God, I like you're, you're clearly there are people in the world that are famous and there are people in the world that, that have big music. Like I want you to use my music to, to bring glory to you. Uh, maybe you're a worship leader. And, and I was, you know, thinking about the different amazing worship leaders that we have here. And maybe you're like, God, like I want, I want to lead people in worship to, to help them connect with you. Maybe you have a heart for ministry and you want to be a, a pastor. You want to be a communicator. You want to be a youth pastor, young adult pastor, um, church planter, missionary, whatever it is. And you're like, man, God, I want, I want, I want you to use me in a powerful way. So it, it really could look like that. But I think the danger of that, and this is why... I feel like there's two sides to it. The danger of that is that it's really hard to always discern our own hearts. And so like, um, there's like a really funny pie chart I saw on a meme. And like the title was like the reason why I want God uh, to make me famous. And it was like 100% of the pie chart was like, so I'll be famous. And like 0% of the pie chart is so that Jesus will be famous, you know? And it was kind of highlighting that idea of like, you know, I think what's happened, what maybe happened to a lot of people and what maybe happened, the reason that we've seen so many young adults like leaving the church is they heard the message like you believe God for something huge for your life. And they heard that and then they decided like I'm going to kind of like write whatever I want, fill in the blank, God bless it. And they didn't really stop to ask God for what he wanted. They just kind of asked for what they wanted. And then when that didn't happen, they were like the church stinks and God stinks because he didn't fulfill what I was, what, 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 what I prayed for. And so I think like, I, I never want to be the person to say like, don't pray big prayers for God. And I do encourage you, like God is powerful. He is amazing. And I want you to pray big prayers. I want you to get before God and ask God to give you a vision for your life. And maybe for some people in here, like that vision will look like you preaching to thousands of people. Maybe that vision will look like you being a worship leader that's known by many people, you being a creative that's known by many people, you having a platform that's known by many people. But I guess the question is, I feel like when you hear that message, God wants to do big things in your life, what if the big thing is that you are a foster parent and your life's really hard because you're fostering a kid that really is struggling and really is challenging, but you love him and serve him and care for him and you actually help him to have a stable life and help him to have a relationship with God. A lot of times we're not praying for that big thing. Like, God, give me a really hard student that I can serve and love and take care of, right? Most people, when they think like, God, I'm praying for a big thing, they're not thinking like, God, I pray that you would allow me to serve at a church my entire life and no one ever knows that I serve no one ever knows that I contribute, but I show up every week. I open the door, I close the door, I, I sweep the floors, I, I wipe down do door handles, whatever I need. Like, that's how I want you to use me my whole life. Like, that's not the big thing that a lot of times people pray for. And so, like, the first thing that I, I, I want to just encourage you is, like, I do want you to pray for big things. And I want you to ask God to give you a vision for your life. And I want you to say, like, God, I believe that you can do big things. But the second thing is, like, I want you to understand that it is not about your story, it is about God's story. 
And, and I want you to see the win as I'm a faithful servant, whatever that looks like. And so maybe that's going to look like me in a place that's amazing. And maybe that's going to look like me in a place that's really challenging. But I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. And I'm willing to be a servant. I'm willing to do anything for God's kingdom. I think about this amazing couple um, that's at our church. Their names are Bob and Ann. And Bob uh, leads our, one of our support groups and is involved in childcare. Like, I'll be honest, they're incredible. They're here as much as I'm here during the week. And they, like, no, they're never going to get invited to speak at Passion. Like, they're, they're ne- Mav City is never going to call them up and be like, hey, we would love for you guys to be featured on our next album. Do you have any songs you've wrote? Like, it's not going to happen. But, but they are faithfully serving in, in our community. And I even think about just the reality of, like, so many people here at the harbor that are serving and contributing and have served and contributed over the years so that we can have this place so that we can connect with God. And so the heart that, that I wanna encourage you is, yes, I want you to believe God for big things and pray big prayers. And yes, I also want you to say, God, I'm, I'm a faithful servant. I'm an ordinary person. And I want you to use me as an ordinary person. And I wanna believe that me just stepping into an ordinary situation, you can do great things. Man, it, it could just be that you're serving behind the scenes. You're, you're serving in production. You're serving in, in guest services, you're, you're serving just in having conversations and you're making such an incredible impact in somebody's life that's an eternal impact that you're never gonna see the impact of, but it's gonna be a powerful impact. God, I'm just a servant. I wanna be available to be used by you. And the reason I think this is important, and I'll invite the band back up, because the ultimate goal of all of this is not our glory. It's not even our effectiveness. The ultimate goal of all of it is intimacy with Christ. And so God invites us into whatever he invites us into so that we can walk with Jesus and so that we can encounter Jesus and serve him. So I just want to take a moment. I just would invite you guys right now as the band's walking up, just bow your heads for a minute. And I just feel like that two two things can happen. I think sometimes we can be just so distracted by our agendas and by what is going on in our worlds that we can forget about God's story and that we can, we can just forget that what we're here to do is be humble servants. And so maybe just even in this next moment, as we're singing and as we're, as we're worshiping God, if, if that's you and you feel like you've just gotten distracted and that you need to focus on being a humble servant, being available to God, just just. Pray those words, say, God, I'm a servant, I'm available to you. I wanna be used for your glory. And the other thing that I think can happen is that we can desire to be used by God, but we can also bring our own agenda, our own timing, our own focus into it. And so just lay that down and say, God, it's not about my story, it's not about my glory, it's about your glory. God, as, as we spend a little bit of time here just worshiping you, I pray that we would have this heart to say, God, I'm an ordinary person, but you're inviting me into an extraordinary story and you can use my life in a powerful way. So I pray that you would do that, God. I pray that you would work in this time. I wanna invite you to stand up to your feet and let's sing together. Let's worship Jesus.
And let's just spend this time, even as we're singing, just reflecting and asking God to to use us and to move in our lives. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.